Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? I hope everyone out there is getting into the swing of things in 2023. And thank you for spending some time with us here at Sports and Torts. My name is Joshua Stein, and very happy to bring you episode number 41 of the Sports and Torts podcast. Remember, you can always find old episodes at sportsandtorts.com. You can do a search of Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, search on social media accounts, all that good stuff. I am really looking forward to the episode we have for you today. With us is my friend, Joseph Wilson. Joseph is a lawyer here in Atlanta who handles personal injury cases. I would say that Joseph is a rising star in the legal industry, but that would be selling him short because dude is already a star. And he is the sharpest dressed man in the business with the most perfectly sculpted beard game you can ever, beard game, excuse me, maybe a beard game too, I don't know, but his beard game is on point that you can imagine. So Joseph, my man, welcome. Thanks for coming here today. How are we doing? Josh, appreciate you having me. I'm glad to be here too. I appreciate that. I've been working on my beard, so I appreciate that a lot. You know, a good beard is noticeable, right? I mean, I, I don't have a great a great beard, but I do keep like it shortly, a uh, little stubble, a little bit. I kind of like that. But uh, anyway, you have a good have you have a good holiday? Some time with family, take some time off. Yeah, holidays were great. We were able to get away a little bit in December and head up to the mountains um, in North Carolina. So really enjoyed that with the family and. Now we're here in 2023. We're, we're rocking and rolling. There we go. Well, last time I saw you was towards the end of last year. You threw a great party celebrating the five-year anniversary of your firm, right? Yep. So uh, congratulations to that, man. I mean, that's no small feat in today's day and age for five years. Yeah, man. I um, appreciate that. Yeah, we had a great time at that party. It was, it was a lot of fun. So we'll see if we do another in 2023. It was, that was a lot. That was a lot for me. I'm kind of a introvert type person, so to do that it was a lot but i enjoyed it though. well any party you have from here on out trust me i'll be there me and my <laughs> wife will be there okay. so um so five years i mean go by fast go by slow are you kind of where you thought you'd be i would say it went by kind of fast i don't know about for you um but it went by a lot faster than i thought and i would say you know we're we're kind of where where i thought we, were, we would be there's some surprises like partnership we're, we're going to talk about. I never expected or even frankly wanted to have a partner, but um, that kind of came about unexpectedly. But other than that, you know, just, you know, the business side of things and working on cases, I think it's pretty much what I planned out. Awesome. Well, let's back up a little bit for those people listening that don't know you, uh, you know, introduce yourself, where you grew up. I know you're from Atlanta, uh, you know, your college experience, law school, and um, how it is you made it back here being the powerhouse in Atlanta that you are. Yeah. So uh, I'm 36. I'm born and raised here, born in Northside Hospital in Atlanta. Grew up probably half of my life in Decatur off of Wesley Chapel Road. And we moved to Roswell, North Fulton area when I was like 12 or 13. So that's where I did all of my high schooling at. Played basketball um, in high school, got a scholarship and was able to go to Jacksonville State University, which is in Alabama. So I played basketball there for three years. Did not play my last year. One, I wasn't getting a ton of playing time and I was not gonna go overseas and play. I wasn't good enough to do that. I was not you know, gonna be a professional and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was like, hey, I think I should maybe look at law school. Johnny Cochran was someone I admired and I had seen some videos and things of that nature of him in court. And I thought to myself, I think I can do that. So I basically spent my senior year in college studying for the LSAT all, all the time, as well as obviously my, uh, my, my classes that I had. And so I was fortunate I was able to you know, get into law school. <laughs> it was a surprise to my parents and everybody else because uh, you know, growing up, I was a smart kid, but I was not focused on anything academic. It's funny, I've heard you say in the past that you weren't the best student growing up. Sports were more important. Yeah. Uh, not more important, but that's where you, you no, were. focus that's a lot of your time. Uh, and you said that your parents were always, you know, they were very encouraging of yeah. you and they were always supporting of you. And then I heard you once say that when they dropped you off at law school, they're actually surprised. They're oh, like, yeah. like, we can't believe we're actually here today doing this. Definitely. So, um, you know, my sister's four years older than me. She was the straight A student. 
Uh, I, I was the kid who had the ability to get straight A's. I could, you know, I would get an A here and there just to prove I could do it and prove it to them and get them off of my back. And then I would go back to being lackadaisical and focusing on basketball or baseball. And um, even did that in college. I remember my first year in college, I said, mm, let, me, let me see if I can get, get a 4.0. Got a 4.0 my first year in college. And then I said, all right, well, let's go back to doing what I normally do. <laughs> now that I've proved myself, you can do it. Can do it. So, um, yeah, they were a little bit surprised um, that I that I ended up going to law school. I remember we drove from Atlanta to St. Louis, which is I think it's like an eight hour drive, and that's when they they later told me this when they dropped me off. They're like, "Is is that our son? Like, is is he really doing this?" Like, that's awesome. They didn't believe it until he, it actually happened. So that's awesome. Well, a colleague of both of ours, Michael Goldberg, who I think you worked yeah. worked with for a little while. Mm-hmm. So he was on the podcast a little uh, a couple months ago, and he played college basketball as yeah. well. Mercy. So. Um, do, do you feel that being in that environment is something that kind of led you to, to want to go to law school, want to be a lawyer? Do you see some parallels between being on a sports team and doing the kind of work we're doing now litigation-wise? I wouldn't say it uh, prompted me to go to law school specifically, but I would say it prepared me to be able to work with other people well, um, to be very competitive and not take anything personal in that competitive nature especially being a trial lawyer it's just it's pure competition so I would say it prepared me for that and I just think sports in general I think all kids should play sports because it just prepares you for life Um, particularly when I think about just different cultures coming together different types of people coming together the most inclusive people that I know played sports and because they were around different types of people um, and hearing different types of people's uh, perspectives on things. So I just think sports are really important. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I grew up playing sports. I have a son who is 11 years old now. He plays whatever the season is, that's the sport he's playing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and all of our friends, all his friends, all walks of life, as you said, come from these teams that he's on. So I, I agree with you. I think it makes it such a, such a well-rounded person. Yep. Um, so, you know, being in the type of work that, that you're doing, which, which is the litigation and being, as you said, it's a competitive kind of field, um, that wasn't where you started though, right? You were a big firm, you were doing more of, of well, you tell me, I mean, that, what, what was your first kind of taste of the law after law school? Yeah, um, so I went to law school in St. Louis, as I mentioned, WashU in St. Louis, and that school basically pushes big firm work or some uh, government type work, federal government type work. So. That's what I thought I wanted to do. I had a lot of debt and I wanted to make as much money as possible, but I knew I wanted to come back to Atlanta because that's where I was from. And so I was able to, in law school, build some connections here in Atlanta, got an opportunity to uh, intern at Fisher Phillips, which is a labor and employment firm. And so I tailored all of my internships towards labor and employment. So I worked for the EEOC in St. Louis. I worked for uh, federal operations for the EEOC in DC. Um, one one semester as well and I thought that's what I wanted to do um, until I started doing it um, and realized that one at that firm you couldn't take a deposition until year five that's crazy and I thought that was insane that's crazy <laughs> they never tried cases which and I did mock trial in law school I like trial work they never tried cases and 90 I think it was 93 percent of the time at that time the in the 11th circuit the employer wins. And so there were these cases I was working on, race discrimination cases with horrible facts, people doing horrible things, and the employer always won. And that just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And so I started having to plan out, okay, I know I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I'll be miserable. How can I transition into something that I would enjoy doing? Which is the trial work you're doing now. And you started out, um, you know, at a, at a small firm, given experience, you go try cases and take depositions, not wait the five years, wait the five minutes, right? Right. Yeah. Um, which is invaluable to get the experience to be able to do what you're doing today, right? Yeah, yeah. I was blessed to get an opportunity to work for a lawyer by the name of Bruce Hagen. I don't know if you know him. He's out in Decatur, still a great friend of mine to this day, uh, because it's it was hard to get into the PI industry because I didn't have any experience with it. I didn't know what a deck page was. It's just I didn't I didn't know. But Bruce gave me an opportunity, and within I think three weeks, I was trying my first jury trial. He just completely threw me into the fire, um, and so yeah, I was able to try a lot of cases when I was working for Bruce. 
probably upwards of 15 to 20. I was in trial like all the time. Which is, which is unique in today's day and age because I do feel that the younger generation, um, which we're both a part of, uh, doesn't have the access a lot of times to the, to the courtroom and to right. jury trials like some of our older peers do. Right. You're an exception to that. Um, I worked at, at a defense firm where I got a lot of exposure as well, but I do fear that like the new lawyers coming out because yeah. trials just happen less and less. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of younger lawyers are not getting trial experience at all. Um, some aren't even getting good litigation experience. Um, so it's really upon them and it's upon us to push forward and make sure that you're just trying more cases and, you know, going through your case list, deciding, OK, this is a case where we really need to push this to trial. And if they don't pay a certain number, we're going to try it. We're going to get experience. We're going to do a great job at it. So I think it's just being intentional about it because it's just not as easy anymore. For sure. One of the things I always like to ask people on, the, on this podcast is the decisions that they make to lead them to starting a firm or changing firms. So what was it five years ago when you said, I'm ready now to open my own firm? What was the headspace you were in? What was the checklist you went through? Yeah, um, that was a tough decision. Um, at that time, I was working at a really another, another great plaintiff's firm, doing high-level trucking work. Uh, I remember in, I think it was October or November of 2017, I went and tried a case with with Goldberg, actually. We got a, a good result. It was my case. I was able to do a lot. I want to do the closing argument. And I just realized at that point, it was probably time um, then that I was ready to do so, ready to, to be out on my own. And that was really what it was all about, is just trying to feel that you're ready to do it. You're always going to be scared. You're always going to have some anxiety about it. I had just got married. I just learned we, we had a kid on the way already <laughs> within a month of getting married. So, um, you know, there was a lot of pressure with that, but just kind of moving past that fear, moving past the worries and the doubts and coming up with a plan and trying to execute that plan, I think is what allowed us to, to get to where we are today. Awesome. So now that you have you have kind of grown your firm, you develop as a trial lawyer. I want to throw some words at you that I've heard kind of describe your style. Okay. okay? And then you, you tell me kind of what that means to you. Uh, being very creative as a lawyer. Yeah, I think creativity is, is really important. I think a lot of lawyers try cases the same way. They try cases and do what other lawyers do. They're afraid to be themselves. Um, they're afraid to use analogies. They're afraid to use metaphors and just being as creative as possible to, you know, illustrate to the jury what you're trying to convey. And so I really try to I really try to spend time on just being as creative as possible. Like I may spend a day just thinking about new ideas, new concepts, new phrases. Um, and it just I think it just makes you a better lawyer to constantly be thinking creative. Do you think that the jury is, is expecting that? oftentimes from lawyers because they've seen the TV shows, they think it's this dramatic event, and most times it's pretty dry, right? And if you, if you follow the usual kind of checklist that 95 plus percent of lawyers do, like it can be kind of boring. So yeah. have you found that the jury is much more engaged in not only the trial, but in your positions when you can come up with ways to keep them entertained? And maybe entertain is the wrong word, but be creative about your presentation. No, I think that's a perfect word. I, I completely agree with that. I think they do want to be entertained to an extent. Yeah, you have to have the substance. It, it can't be all flare and flash, but there is an entertaining or entertainment component to it to keep them engaged and keep them with you. And so I look at being a trial lawyer, I look at it as being like an artist um, because it is theater. It's like an actor to some extent. We're not acting in that it's fake. It's real to us, but there is a performance aspect to it. And so that's that's how I kind of look at myself as, as an artist when I'm being a trial lawyer. When I'm thinking of what am I going to say in opening statement? How am I going to say it? How am I going to phrase it? Where am I going to you know, put things in order as, as well as far as you know, the chronology of what I talk about. That's all being creative. That's all being an artist. I know I'm getting a little deep. But. I love it. Any <laughs> any good, good examples you can think of? You're like, man, that's pretty good. Pretty good idea I came up with. You can come up. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let me think on that. I've had some cases. Like I, I tried a case like uh, six or seven years ago, which was a ridiculous case. I did not want to try it. This is when I was working for Bruce. Um, this lady had drove up to a Publix. There was a, a company who was fixing the Publix sign and they had the bucket truck and they had the ladder up 
um, 50 feet or so up in the air. She's on video. She parks by, behind that truck. She walks to the ATM. While she's at the ATM, the bucket truck or bucket ladder descends and it's kind of hovering over the sidewalk horizontally. And so she's on camera. She's walking back to her car, looking at her cell phone, and she walks right into the ladder. So as you can expect, zero off her case. They're like, what, what is this? Get, get this crap out of here. We're in DeKalb County and I had to be creative because I just, that, that was not going to be an easy case to win. And so I remember in closing arguments, um, I used, I bought an orange cone like from Home Depot because the defendants, they failed to put out orange cones saying, hey, don't walk in this area. It's potentially hazardous. It's dangerous. And so I was able to kind of use those orange cones and I demonstrated like this would have been the safety zone had they created it. But they failed to do that and yada, yada, yada. You brought the scene to the jury, gave them a visual of what would have been the proper way to make that a safer situation. If, whether she's on her phone or not, if she sees cones, she'd just walk around it. So, and, and I'm assuming you win the trial? We won. We won. I told the jury I bought these cones for $8, and I think I somehow incorporated that in as far as damages. And actually, they put 8% fault on my lace. So That's cool. Using that number to kind of illustrate that maybe for $8 times, what, four or five cones, 40 yeah. bucks, they make mm -hmm. this seem much safer. Yep. All right. Well, that, that rolls into another word I've heard. Um, I think uh, it comes to you, which is bold, being bold about case you take, being bold about your presentation, bold about, and you know, developing a case. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, when I say, you know, being bold, it's just being fearless. And you know, like I said, it's natural to have fear, but it's just how you use that fear. And so when I feel scared or anxious, I try to, um, you know, change that into just being bold and being fearless. And so that goes to just how you present yourself even how I, how I dress, you know, m most lawyers don't dress like this. Um, they, they always have their suit on and, and have their ties on and things like that. And I have that as well. Most lawyers don't have tattoos. I just feel like you should be yourself, be bold, be fearless. Um, as long as you're being yourself, you're, you're good to go. And that ties into another word, which is being authentic, yeah. which is something else I know that you make a point to be yourself, just like you just said. Yeah, you have to be. I mean, um, I think everybody's inspired by someone else and they may take things here and there that they've heard other great trial lawyers do or, or people in other professions do. But you've got to make it your own. You've got to be real. You've got to be yourself. You can't be up in front of a jury trying to sound and be like somebody else. It's just not going to resonate. The jury may not pinpoint and say, is he trying to sound like Johnny Cochran? But they know when you're trying to be like something that you're not and it's not real. It's not authentic. So. Yeah, that's definitely one of one of my foundations, too. So you, you mentioned Johnny Cochran a time or two. I know that mentor is a big part of your life. You ever meet him or had a chance to see him in action or no? I wish I wish um, he, he he was in Atlanta because he started an office here. Uh, he was able to mentor a friend of mine named Sean Will Williams, but I wasn't in law school yet. And he passed away before I became a lawyer. Unfortunately, he's somebody who I would have loved to have met and just sat down and had a had a coffee with, but didn't get to. So I have to go to YouTube. <laughs> Fortunately, there's lots of there's a big library and volume of stuff. So you mentioned clothes, too. Is that something that you think um, you're, you're purposeful about how you look, how you dress, how you sound, how you inflect the tone of your voice, all that stuff. Yep, everything is, is pretty calculated when it comes to that. So, um, you know, my inflection, the pace, pauses uh, during opening statement or closing argument or even just examination, all of that is intentional and thought out. How I dress as well. I mean, when I'm in court, I'm dressed as best as I can. Not too flashy or anything like that, but, you know, fitted suit. Sometimes I wear a three-piece suit or whatever. Uh, whatever I feel comfortable in, you've got to feel comfortable in it at the end of the day. So, Planning out your pauses, planning out your presentations, that requires a lot of preparation. You're not the kind of guy that's got his, you know, opening statement written out and you're reading from it in front of a jury, I imagine. No, no. <laughs> not, I think I may have done that my first trial, just, again, out of fear, but yeah, definitely don't do that anymore. I try not to use notes at all. Um, at best, I'll have like a little one sheet with words on it just to trigger my memory. Or I may have a few PowerPoint slides that are with points on them. But yeah, I'm not reading at all. Uh, I really don't even write out opening statements uh, word for word or, or closing arguments. I have the ideas 
in my head and in my heart. And then I feel like I'm at my best and most creative when I, ha I just have the ideas and concepts in my heart and then I just go up there and talk about them. I've heard that from a lot of folks and something I do too is having like a trigger word or trigger phrase that kind of brings you right back to where you need to be. Yeah. And then like, like you said, like if you know the case inside and out because of the good preparation that you do, like that's all you need because yeah. it's all up there. Right. And, and you're, you're mo emotionally invested for your client. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes out much more natural and it comes out much more engaging. Yep. Exactly. exactly. And then another word I've heard you say is you strive for excellence. How do you, how do you define that? Yeah, I think excellence, it, it just comes down to doing your very best um, with with whatever that you do. I hate to keep saying, referring to Johnny Cochran, but he talked about just always being prepared. And I think that's a component of being excellent. It's just being prepared to the T's, not missing anything about your case. Um, when you're going to try it, knowing the facts from A to Z, and then you can, you're in a position to go out and be excellent. You don't have to have any concerns or worries that you didn't do everything that you needed to do um, and to be your best. And so I just think it's about being able to be your best. And that's by being prepared. And I think and I, and I think it's your own definition of what the best is, like not what someone else's definition is. Mm -hmm. Right. Not fitting into a box that says this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Your firm's got to be certain size or certain. it's whatever you internally think, like this is the best version of me. And that's what I want to get to. Yeah, excellence and being your best has nothing to do with anybody else or comparing yourself to anybody else. I, I refuse to compare myself to anybody else. And when people try to do it, I reject it. I say, you know, we're friends, we're colleagues, we're working towards the same goal. It's not competitive between my colleagues. It's just competitive with myself, I'm trying to be better each year, better each day, um, and just continuing to try to get to the level that I want to get at. Such a great mindset, too, because you can get caught up. We all get caught up comparing ourselves to this person. This person got a verdict. This yeah. person got the settlement. And it's not a healthy way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we're all at the common goal of representing clients doing the same thing. And right. you got to just measure yourself against what your capabilities are. Absolutely. Now, in order to get all these great cases to have success at trial, you've got to have someone want to hire you. Right. You've got to have, 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 have to get clients. So yeah. marketing is a big part of our jobs, whether we like it or not. It is. Yeah. Um, we actually met because Kayla, who is here today and, and doing a great job of capturing all this, uh, did some work for both of our firms, still does. Yep. Um, so talk a little about first, like generally your approach to marketing, how you want to have yourself kind of perceived by the community at large and what kind of stuff you do. Yeah. So probably started doing things on social media related to marketing maybe seven or eight years ago when I started working for Bruce. Um, because I wanted to originate cases because I got paid more <laughs> when I brought in cases. So sure. that was kind of the, the motivation behind that. But as it, as it grew, my goal was to be perceived as an expert by the people who follow me. And the way I was gonna do that is by talking about what I do, demonstrating my expertise, and hopefully they get to know me in such a way that if something does happen, unfortunately, that they would reach out to me and they would trust that I'm an expert in my field. So that's kind of how I use social media is um, just creating that awareness so that they know know what I do, know that they can come to me and hopefully that they can trust me um, as well. Even if it's not something that I do, I can steer them in the right direction to somebody that can help them. So, you know, I love social media. You know, we're millennials. So um, <laughs> I love I love Instagram and all that. One thing I struggle with and I and Kayla helps me with this all the time is the right mix of the posts. Education, which you and I both both think is important and both do. Um, talking about successes that you've had so people know these kind of cases you're handling. Yeah. Um, what's the right kind of mix? What's the right amount of posts? Too little, yeah. not enough. Like there's no blueprint for all this. So everybody kind of looks at it differently. But how do you view that? Yeah, um, I think I could post more. Frankly, um, I'm not even against posting something every day it doesn't again it doesn't have to be about the law all the time it, it could be about family it could be a picture of you and your family or doing something that you love to do so that people can get to know you because they hire you the person if they like you the person and they trust you the person then you're probably the person that they're going to reach out to so i don't think it's it, you know i think even if you post five days a week that's not too much uh, it just depends on the type of content um, that you're that you're posting. Now, if you're posting every day bragging about how I'm the greatest lawyer in the world, that's going to fall on deaf ears at, at some point. But at the same time, I do think it's important that 
you do talk about your successes. It's not bragging. It's not, you know, being arrogant, but arrogant or anything of that nature. But you've got to talk about results. It's, that's what it's about. That's, a, that's just a part of marketing, especially with what we do. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's got to people have to know that you can walk the walk after you've talked the talk. And this is how you show it by this result of trial or this settlement, this, that and the other. Right. Um, the videos that I used to shoot were about two minutes long. And I'm like, oh, this is great content. I'm telling them exactly how this is going to play out. Right. And my daughter, who she's 14 and she is all over Instagram and TikTok, and all this stuff. She should be. And she is one of my, one of my biggest fans. She made it through. 30 seconds of these videos yeah. and she's like dad I mean she'd still hit the like button and whatever but she ain't making it all the way through mm-hmm. and I asked her why and she's like well it's just too long and I'm like two minutes like mm-hmm. how's that too long she's like no 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 and then me and Kayla started talking about it and I started so really now I've shifted it to say it's got to be a minute or less yeah I mean is that what you think too yeah I pretty much agree with that tension spans are just <laughs> I guess not what they used to be um, especially with the younger generation, and I get it. Um, so yeah, we're, the goal is to probably keep your videos shorter. Sometimes, like you, we have some longer videos, like if we're talking about an important, like hot topic that's being talked about around the country, I can't, it's, it's kind of difficult to crap, cram all of that into one minute, so it may be a little bit longer than that, and we still get pretty good engagement because this is something everybody's talking about. This is something that the whole country is interested interested in so sometimes we do that too now we're in the trust trees you got to be honest when you do these videos how many takes is it required to get a good one i'll let kayla answer that question (laughs) kayla speak up um so generally i would say that both of you are pretty good like i have other clients and i won't say any names but they get a little stage fright but i think because you guys are so familiar with actually being in a courtroom and talking in front of people that it's kind of the same concept but he has his days. Thanks for saying that. I mean, there, there's some days I feel like I'm like, Kayla, I can't get these words out. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, you just can't do it. Yep. Sometimes that happens. Uh, and she, she makes fun of me. I'm just like, I, I don't have it today. I don't have it. I don't know what it is. Like, let's get this over with because I don't have it. But what I've learned is that you don't have to be perfect with the video. With right. the video or it's really anything. I mean, you can the excellence you spoke about, you strive for that. But don't hold yourself up from doing something because it's not the perfect result. Yeah. You know, exactly. like... Good enough when a social media video is probably going to still get the point across. Yep, so completely agree. That's something I, I try to tell myself. All right, another thing that I know you're involved in is this trial lawyers college, mm-hmm. um, which I have never been to. I know a lot of people do. You went to one of the um, – is it a retreat out in Montana? Like, t- Tell about what the organization is, what you've done with it, and what the mission is. Yeah, so um, probably well, it's been seven years ago or so, Nick and Courtney Rowley – and I think Jacob, who's the COO of Trial by Human, that's they started that. He wrote a book seven or eight years ago. And I think there was a demand from lawyers to learn more about this and actually start practicing it. And so last year I was able, I think it was last year, maybe the year before last year, went to Montana for a couple of days. And yeah, we worked on everything from voir dire to closing statement. And we were able to get up on our feet and do some of that work. And so now I'm a part of that faculty and we're probably going to be doing something here in Atlanta um, in February too. So yeah, it's been, it's been really great. It's just a good way to learn, especially again, if you're not able to try a lot of cases, you need to practice trying cases, even if it's not the real thing. Trial by human is kind of the, the, as I understand it, is kind of like the, you know, the benchmark. What does that mean? Yep. It just means um, really, Stopping, stop looking at your case just like a, as it's just a case file. Um, when you go into court and all you've reviewed is the medical records and all of the, all of the documents, but you don't really know the person that you represent at all. You may have met them at deposition or you, know, you may have met a week before trial to prepare them for cross-examination and direct examination, but you don't know them. So how's it going to be real to you and how are you going to be able to authentically tell their story when you don't know the person? So it's really all about spending the time to get to know them, to start to like them, hell, maybe even start to to love them, fall in love with them as a person. And that way, when you get up and talk about what they're going through and you've seen what they've been through, it's just a different type of emotion and um, an authenticity that comes out when you're talking to that jury. It's just it's 
it makes your case almost indefensible in some way because you know the real truth. Presenting it to the jury in a way um, that they can relate more to the client. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the medical bills amount. It's not yeah. about the doctor that they treated with. I mean, right. that's one of the big concepts that, right? I mean, it's like, who cares? There's $100,000 of medical bills or $50,000 yeah. of medical bills. Like, that's not what the case is about. Yeah, it's not much emphasis on, on medical bills. Uh, I know Nick and sometimes myself, sometimes we'll, we'll keep them in. Um, but a lot of times they'll get waived and talk about them as just, this is just a piece, they're pieces of paper. This is not what happened to the human being and what they've had to go through. That's, that's the more important thing is this person's quality of life being diminished. So you mentioned being on the faculty. So, so now you are teaching others, you're giving back your time. Um, talk about some of the stuff that you're doing, you know, in, in that may, in that way. Yeah. So, um, I'm pretty new to the faculty. Uh, like I said, we're going to be doing something in Atlanta in February, and then I think we're, there's another one going to be in the month. I think we're looking at the montage or something in South Carolina. But um, yeah, it's just really teaching those concepts, and then let's implement and practice those concepts, and then we just give feedback to each other. We give constructive, honest feedback to each other. And I've learned that just being a part of the faculty and actually teaching, it makes you a better trial lawyer because you're having to work on this stuff constantly. Um, you're seeing others do it, what's what may be right, quote unquote, or wrong, quote unquote. And it just allows you to get better as a lawyer. So it's, it's been really beneficial to me and hopefully to other people. Awesome. You, I, I mentioned the five-year party you had last year and then and you also brought up how your firm has now changed. You got a new partner, Nick Rowley, whose name was brought up um, a minute ago with this trial, trial lawyers college. So congrats on that. Um, what's the, you know, how's the firm changing? What's kind of the outlook? What's going on with the new firm? Yeah. So um, it, it's, it's going well, it's going well so far. And, you know, really, really kind of the, the thought behind that Nick and I have been friends for six years now. He, first a mentor then we just kind of grew closer and closer as, fr as friends and share a lot of the same values as well when it comes to to family as well as trying cases and it just it just kind of made sense um, I think I was telling you before we got on I never wanted or you know aspired to have a, a partner but this was just kind of the perfect fit and um, yeah like I said things are going well our focus is on you know, the, the serious cases, obviously, you know, Nick's been doing this for a long time at a very high level, um, doing some very serious cases. And so that's that's our goal to try a lot of cases here in Georgia. And then I'm working with him on some cases outside of Georgia as well and trying those, too, and really just collaborating with with other lawyers here in Atlanta and all over the country. Again, it's not about competing or anything like that. It's about collaboration. And, it go, and that goes both ways. You mentioned it, but I, I was going to ask if the footprint is expanding outside of Georgia and working on cases all across the country. Yep, yep. Um, we had talked about, because I mean, he brought this up before I did, you know, he wants, he's already a national trial lawyer. He, he's, he's tried cases in 30 states or something crazy like that. And he aspires uh, for me to be the same. Um, he thinks I have that, that capability. So... You know, the goal is to work on cases outside of Georgia and to, you know, hope, hopefully eventually get on that level where I'm trying cases nationally, too. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the goal. Good stuff, man. Well, I can't wait to watch it. You mentioned family. I, I apologize. I didn't ask you about that. I met your, met your wife before. You've got two small children. So briefly talk about your family, their ages and what kind of stuff your kids are into. Yeah. So I've uh, been married five years as well. Um, wife, Essence. 2017 was a big year, man. It was a big year. Yeah, busy year, too. Um, so we've got, we actually got three now. Our youngest is nine months. So um, he's he's something else. His name is Easton. He's a lot of fun. Middle child is Kingston. He's two. And then my oldest is Jackson. He's four. So all boys, house full of boys. We drive my wife crazy, I'm sure. Two more, you got your basketball team. Yeah, I'm done, man. You're done? That's it. So I, I know that you uh, you grew up playing baseball. Yeah. Your youngest one with him, like Easton, kids shooing. Yeah, yeah he's kind of got a got kind of got to go in that direction. We'll see if he likes it or not. But uh, so, how old is your oldest? Now you just said, but four. Four. All right. So you're still maybe a year or two away from some of the the competitive sports and getting together. But I'm sure they'll play all of them, right? Yeah, we'll at least uh, introduce him um, to it. Like we had him do soccer 
I think last year didn't and then that was just it was like herding cats. I mean the kids were just <laughs> running all over the place. He seemed to enjoy that a little bit. Um and so we do want to get him in Little League. I got a good buddy of mine who runs a good program and we've all got kids around the same age, so I like them to kind of grow up and, and be around each other and play play sports together too. Because you told me about your your fond memories of, of, of baseball and pitching and yeah. you know kind of growing into it. Unfortunately you got hurt, mm-hmm. which back then we didn't we didn't know as much about arm care and yeah. health and making sure that you don't do certain things. But um, fortunately now our kids have more information. So hopefully they follow your footsteps and get into all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I always make fun of my dad. I said, you know, if you had just held me back a little bit from throwing too much, I might've been Greg Maddox. You, you blew it. Well, with your frame, you would have, I mean, Greg Maddox, I think that you've been a hard thrower, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I had, yeah, I love pitching, man. I, I was, that hurt a lot to not be able to play baseball anymore, but it's too painful. So, so I know you're a Braves fan. Who would you say is either your favorite Braves pitcher or, or either current or past or what? Yeah, favorite Braves pitcher probably was Maddox. Yeah. That's who I, at least at that time, who I tried to pitch like. I had good movement on, a, on my fastball even at 11, 12 years old, so I like Greg Maddox's game. Um, I'll say probably my favorite Brave, just period of all time is a tie between, maybe it's three players now, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, and Ronald Acuna. Like, those are my three guys. All right, Andrew Jones, Hall of Fame, yes or no? Oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. It's, it's, it's crazy that he's having a fight to get in. I agree with you. I think that Andrew Jones is, the knock against him is his last five or seven years were just not very good. If he'd have just yeah. stopped, you know, um, I think there would have been no question, but I think that the voters don't like the way he tailed off at the end. Yep, I think that's a part of it. And I was reading an article online, I think, because sometimes the writers take into account personal events. I think he had an incident or something like that. And they might be holding that against them, too. Who knows? They they never disclose it. But when you have over 400 home runs and for a 10-year period, you're literally the best center fielder in the game, and it's not close. Some say he's the best center fielder defensively of all time. I would agree with that. He won, what, 10-plus gold gloves? 10 straight. 10 straight. So uh, this is not meant to knock Ozzie Smith. I love Ozzie Smith as a player. And I don't know if you heard him talk recently, but he is doing great stuff. But what's the difference in Ozzie Smith being a Hall of Famer based strictly on defense and Andrew Jones? Nothing. And Ozzie Smith wasn't as good a hitter as Andrew Jones. Not even close. (laughs) I think that Ozzie Smith's career home run total is less than one year for Andrew Jones. I'm sure. And I don't think he hit for average that well. I didn't follow him too closely. I remember him, but he was a wizard at shortstop, but so was Andrew Jones in center field. So hopefully he gets in one day. We'll see. Now, you're a basketball fan too? Yeah. You're a Warriors guy, right? Hawks and Warriors. Hawks and Warriors. You can be both for sure. Um, All right. This is – we're recording this on uh, middle of January, and I believe that the Hawks are playing the Mavericks tonight. Yeah. All right. Trey versus Luca. Yeah. Talk to me. What's the tale of the tape? I mean, Luca's a better player when you compare them person to person. He's just he's better. I mean, I was when they when that draft came up, I said I think we should get Luca. I think he's just a better talent overall and you can build around him better. But I think the argument at the time was cuz I think we got a first we got a first round pick too, which turned out to be What's his name? The kid that we traded to New York. Didn't work out. Didn't work. Kid from Duke. Duke, yeah. Who I didn't want to draft either. I didn't think he played well enough at Duke for his talent level. Like He should have been the best player on that team. So Cam Reddish, was Cam it? Cam Reddish. Yeah. Cam Reddish. Bunch of talent. He just can't, can't get right, as they say. So, yeah, I think Dallas definitely won that trade, and we'll regret that for the next 20, 30 years. It's, it's tough because I think that, that Trey – is well, I don't think I know he's a great player, and, and there's no way you can anyone can call him a bust. No, Having said that, he's always going to be compared against the generational player of his era right now. I mean, yeah. Luca is doing things that nobody has done. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Trey's a great player. I like Trey. Is um, but he, he's small. He doesn't play defense, and it appears that he's got an attitude problem. I don't know if that's true. It doesn't seem the coach – he doesn't seem to get along with the coaches very well no. or the front office. No. Um, I worry he's one of these guys that is going to demand a trade or going to yep. – you know, if they don't surround him with a couple other pieces, mm-hmm. um, which is the way the game is, right? Like LeBron kind of started that 
um, super team idea where you got to bring in two other superstars. I think Trey Young's like, if y'all don't bring me these other two, whoever that is, like, I'm gone. Yeah, I think the writing's on the wall there. If we don't get it together this year and make a run, which they're, I think they won two games straight, so hopefully it could be three tonight. I like DeJounte Murray. I actually think he's a better fit for us than Trey is at this point. I think he's a better team guy and better on both sides of the ball, better to build around, but um, the way we're looking, he's going to be gone too next year. And it's hard to argue with the Warriors, right? I mean, in the last maybe eight years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever, like there's not been a more fun team, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, than the Warriors. So. Yeah. Is, is, is that been the appeal to you? I mean, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I mean, what, what what attracted you to the Warriors? Just more so Steph. I followed him at Davidson and all the stuff he was doing there in the tournament. I just was like, wow, this, this dude's incredible. So wherever he went, I was going to be a fan of that team. He just happened to go to the Warriors, and they just happened to turn out to be a great team. But it's more so Steph and then, you know, then I was introduced to Clay Thompson and all these other guys, and I like their games too. So, um, I, yeah, I definitely cheer for them. Yeah. Uh, you like them better with or without KD? Probably without, just because it's more competitive. When KD was there, it was like, okay, they're definitely going to win unless there's an injury. So I like, I don't like super teams. I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> when you have KD, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green defensively, it's like nobody's really going to beat them. I agree. Um I didn't like seeing KD there because I thought they were just fine without him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of diminished, in my opinion, what Steph Curry and them were doing because now you've got this this other dude that, like you said, makes him unbeatable. So yeah. you got Jordan Poole in the mix now. Like, I kind of like that better. Yeah. Um, but the West Confer- Western Conference is loaded. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I-, I follow basketball not that closely, but I know enough to know that it's not a cakewalk anymore for the Warriors. So uh-huh. um, you got a prediction for how the finals going to end up? Well, Potentially. I'm trying to remember who's in first place right now. I think the Nuggets are. Oh, wow. Nuggets in first, and then the the uh, Celtics are in first in the East. Mm-hmm. Memphis is pretty good. I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready yet. I don't believe in Phoenix with Chris Paul and those guys. The Clippers are pretty good if Kawhi is healthy. Kawhi is, is the kryptonite, I think, for the Warriors because uh, they would have lost – I think they would have beaten the Warriors um, a couple of years ago, except he got hurt. Um, I think that was in the finals, if I'm not mistaken. But I think it's Clippers-Warriors for the Western Conference. And for the East, I think it's Boston for sure and either Brooklyn or Milwaukee for the East. But uh, if I had to pick, I would say, man, that's tough. You're on record for the whole world to hear. We're going to look back on this one. (laughs) Probably have to go Boston just because I think Brooklyn is better offensively. Defensively, they're not great, and they're injury-prone. So I would probably go Boston. All right, heard it here first, Celtics fans. Buy your gear. Um, All right, the other sport that I know you're into is boxing. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, I used to love watching these heavyweight fights. I've kind of drifted away from it. Yeah. Um, Have you always been into boxing? Did you do boxing yourself or just always had an interest in watching it? Yeah, I've done some boxing just for training purposes a couple of years ago. I haven't done it in a while, but growing up, um, we would always go over to other family members' houses to watch Evander Holyfield fight, Roy Jones, Tyson, all of these great heavyweights. Um, So I kind of fell in love with it then. There was kind of a lag period in boxing where it was really boring and no good fights were making. I didn't follow it. And then I kind of started getting back into it the last maybe – 10 years or so now i'm really into it there's a lot of great fighters out there it's just a matter of if the big fights are going to get made that's the problem with boxing is you got all these great fighters but because of the promotional companies and the money at stake none of the great fights get made until the folks the, the fighters are over the hill and it just true boxing fans it, it, it irritates the hell out of everybody so the the not true boxing fan would say exactly what you just said, which is we want a big fight promoted who we know the fighters like, um, was it Pacquiao and, and uh, Mayweather? Mayweather. Yeah. Um, that's the last kind of one I can remember that oh. it captivated the attention of just your your average fan. Yeah. And that wasn't even a heavyweight fight, right? Mm-hmm. So what what can boxing do to, to, I mean, is it the promoters are holding it up? Is it not the personalities? Yeah. Like how do they get another t- 
Tyson versus Holyfield that the whole world was going to be interested in watching. And that Pacquiao Mayweather fight was five years too late. They weren't in their primes anymore. So it's the pro, it's the companies, it's the top ranks, and because from my understanding is they would rather two top rank fighters fight because top rank makes more money versus a top rank fighter and a PBC fighter, which is Al Heyman and Floyd Mayweather and all those guys. Because then they got to split up the money. So that is what's holding up a lot of these fights. Um, you know, there's a, there should have been a great fight between this fighter named Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. They're the top guys at welterweight, 147 pounds. They've got all the belts. They, they haven't fought. They, they still can't figure out a deal to get them to fight. It's, it's ridiculous. It seems crazy to me. I mean, I, you know, that's like, you know, I'm a college football fan. It's like George and Alabama never being able to play right. one another. It's yeah. like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. People is. will pay for it. People will watch. I mean, I vividly remember as a kid grown up getting together in my neighborhood at the one house where the family got the pay-per-view for a Tyson fight. Yeah. And it was Friday night and everybody was there. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? I mean, if, if there's a big fight, where do people go watch it? Is it pay-per-view? Is it a bar? It's pay-per-view. Yeah, everything's pay-per-view now. So that that is also the other problem is, you know, just, again, the money related to that and trying to split and divvy that up. But I think it's going to be upon the boxers to force these things, go out publicly and say, PBC is holding this up. We want to bring this fight to the fans. All the fans are asking and begging for it. We have to have this fight happen. That actually just happened. Um, there's a, a big fight coming up in April between a, a fighter by the name of Gervonta, da- Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. Gervonta Davis is 135 pounds, but he's like a little Mike Tyson, huge star. And then Ryan Garcia is a great fighter, but he's a big social media star. And so Ryan Garcia basically went out publicly and was like, was like I'm fighting this guy. Make this fight happen. Make it I happen. don't care. And it happened. They signed a deal, supposedly. How about Jake Paul? Is he still fighting? He's still fighting. I don't consider him a real <laughs> boxer. I think he he would get knocked out by even an average boxer. But I guess he's he's good for the sport from what I hear. I mean, he gets some eyeballs on it and some attention. Um, because I, if I'm being honest with you, I can't name who the heavyweight champion of the world is right now. Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. Tyson he, Tyson Fury is a huge star. He's from London. He's big. He's big time. He's six nine. Literally big too. He's a, he's a great fighter. It's like uh, Lennox Lewis, wasn't he from London? Uh huh. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was actually. Well, that's good stuff. How about like MMA or any of the other stuff too, or really just boxing? Not as much. I'll watch it. Um, I'm not as into the individuals. Like I obviously know Conor McGregor and John Jones, but I don't know the the figures like I do in boxing. But I'll watch it. It's entertaining. It's, it's pretty brutal. As well, I wouldn't get in there. That's that's for sure. Yeah, no but, way, no way. Well, uh, thanks for some boxing talk. Like yeah, I haven't yeah. done that yet on the show, so you know we're we're trying to check all the boxes here, man. Yeah, we got that one. So, um, Kayla, I'm going to call you back up to the mic because uh, your brother Kyle, who was on the podcast with all of us last year for we did the March Madness episode. Remember that one? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So Kyle, friend of all of ours, great dude. He just started a new um, a new catering business. Mm-hmm. And so once we wrap up here, uh, we're going to eat his food. He, he made some good stuff. So uh, he couldn't stick around, unfortunately. But um, shout him out. That's what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so his Instagram is Kyle's Cooking. Um, and he does a lot of like Louisiana-based type food. Um, our family's actually from Louisiana. My favorite thing that he makes personally are those wings that are in there he does a lot of seafood he can do he does the boil with the big pots outside um also really good steaks he's really good at making steaks sides are always bomb um and he lives with me so i get to eat all this food for free all the time um but definitely look him up um his instagram you can just reach out to him there if anyone is interested in catering what kind of wings we about to eat so I'm pretty sure those are barbecue wings that he made um he made them out on the grill actually this morning so Nice and fresh. When Kayla and Kyle were on the podcast last year, they had a competition amongst themselves about who was a better shooter. <laughs> Joseph, what do you think? Put, put, put yourself in a competition with the two of them. So I haven't seen Kyle shoot. I've seen her shoot. I beat him in horse and, uh, before. Let's so. just take it easy there. <laughs> so she was scared to play one-on-one, of course, which makes sense. She, she can't beat me. So she did challenge me to horse. 
And uh, I think the goal was a little crooked. So <laughs> I think she got she got there a little bit before I did, but I'll take a rematch. So she's an okay shooter. I, she's not a great shooter. She know she ain't a great. So shooter. what I'm hearing is, Kayla, you beat him, huh? I did. I definitely beat him. It's on the record on this podcast. Yeah, on the record. All right. How would you size up Joseph's game? Um, so again, I've never really seen him play in action, but he's tall and like the build is obviously a basketball player, you know, but I'm clearly the better shooter. Yeah. Again, she wouldn't play one-on-one because I'm a slasher. I'm not a shooter. And she knew that. So she, she didn't want that type of smoke. Are you, are you still playing in leagues? Nah, not too much, man. Um, I just, I just sit back and watch nowadays. (laughs) I played, I played in some basketball leagues a few years after, uh, after law school and I just kept getting hurt, whether it was an ankle or a wrist or a finger. I'm like, I'm not good enough at basketball to put myself through the situation where I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I, I hung him up. Same, but, man. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, um, look, man, thanks for coming and doing this today. This is a lot of fun. Kayla, thank you for doing what you do today and documenting yeah. all this and putting up with, with us, with our videos. You know, the bloopers is the fun, is what she likes doing the most. Yeah. She loves putting those blooper videos out. And for me, I think it makes it easier than for others because God knows I got plenty. But, um, hey, tell people um, your website, how to find you, you know, all, that, all that good kind of stuff. Yeah, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram is Joseph Wilson ESQ. And our website is TL, the letter, uh, the number four, JGA.com. And if you ever need to email me, my email is Joe J O E at T L the letter four, the number four, <laughs> J G A dot com. Good stuff, man. Well, guys, y'all need him. You know where to find him. You can find uh, old episodes here at sportsandtorts.com, like I mentioned. Uh, Instagram page that comes up with stuff that, that, that Kayla puts out, J J dot Stein Law Firm. Um, we've got a TikTok. Kayla convinced me to do it. Has she got you doing TikTok yet? Supposedly, very soon. Okay, so yeah. so I'm uh, the the law dot father is my TikTok. Okay, um, it's fun. It's different. I mean, I'm not going to be the dancing lawyer guy that you see, but right. uh, I think it can be done in a way that's professional. Yeah, that's where the eyes are going. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what they te- That's what they say. So all right. Well, we got to get with the program. We'll, we'll we'll see you on TikTok. But anyway, everybody, thank you all for listening. Uh, tell a friend if you liked it. Reach out to Joe if you need something. And as always, until next time, keep chopping. <laughs>